Romans chapter 16. While you're turning, let me just ask you a question. If you would be so bold to raise your hand if this applies. Uh, would you say, Pastor, I've learned a few things about my Bible as you have introduced right division. Anyone like that? Praise the Lord. That's wonderful. And that really encourages. And uh, I want you to encourage one another with that. And um, it is important. None of us know it all. And we're all in the journey together. And um, uh, even as Brother John was talking one time to me, and he said, you know, even with right division, someone might have this view and someone might have that view. And it's good to be able to talk and have open dialogue and to grow in those things. And so it really encourages me when, uh, as a pastor, my goal is just to help and teach and um, to do what I can. And so uh, we pray that it would be a blessing. So in the spirit of that, we want to continue pressing on. As last week, we looked a little more in depth at what we would call the Great Commission. And I use the uh, title, the so-called Great Commission, not in a sense to be... Um, negative or um, or or negative, uh, but to just put it out there because it is called the Great Commission. We know, uh, as I grew up in a good church, many of us have, uh, what that entails, meaning going to the world, all the world, and preaching the gospel. Go in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth, first your home, then your country, and then outside of the country. There's principles there. Even as we stated last week about the Great Commission, you, you're not going to find this pastor arguing with the thought of anyone going in the world with the gospel of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The um, disagreement or the argument according to the scriptures would be the gospel that was preached then is different than the gospel that's preached now. And so uh, I think it's important to have accuracy when we come to the Bible. It clears up a lot of confusion. Even subjects such as when did the church actually begin? Um, people go to Peter and the 12 apostles in the day of Pentecost and uh, how they were empowered by the Holy Ghost. And that's when a lot of people believe that the church started. But Paul sets these things in different array in a different timeline. And so these things are important. Why? Because it clears up some of the questions that are associated with uh, certain ports, portions of, of the Bible, such as the Great Commission. We talked about how the uh, convert, the new convert, one of the testimonies that they received that gospel of the kingdom was that they were to go forth and have the uh, healing power of diseases. They were able to be bit by serpents. They were able to drink deadly poison, etc., and not be killed. So, um, We've never had anyone in our church, uh, to my knowledge, raise the dead. We've never had anyone in uh, our church uh, be able to be bitten by venomous vipers, except Brother Gleason. Brother Gleason was bit a few years ago. Was that ven that was a cobra here in Michigan, King Cobra, I think. <laughs> Amen. Um, and so we begin to see with the right division some of these important ingredients that allow us to understand the Bible. What is right division or what does rightly dividing the Bible mean? It means that we can come to the scriptures and not have to uh, tiptoe around subjects that we can't explain. Because with right division, we begin to explain these things. And uh, I think that's very important 
as we're to give an account. So here we are in Romans chapter 16. And to uh, just encourage you with this verse, and then we'll go into the, uh, the Great Commission. And again, breaking it down into a Great Commission, a Greater Commission, and the Greatest. Uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you. And that's the point that we want to bring to your heart tonight. That this is good. It brings meat to your bones. It allows you to be full. It gives you a sense of education. Knowing your Bible, it equips you. And as the Bible says, it establishes you. It establishes you. It, it, it brings fortified, uh, concrete, foundational truth, doctrine that cannot be tossed to and fro as we're talking about with some people coming across portions of the Bible that might say, well, I don't really know what that means, so I'm just going to go really fast over it and say, okay, God does. Um, this establishes you, according to my gospel, there's that thought, again, uh, not the disciples' gospel, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23, or Matthew chapter 10, or even Matthew chapter 28, or Mark chapter 16, uh, but Paul's gospel. We brought that distinction to your attention again. Um, the commandment that was given to Jesus after the resurrection to his 11 was to follow what he had commanded them in that gospel of the kingdom. Uh, it says, My gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God and made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Now, let me just say this. There's a lot about the mystery program that we haven't even really talked about. Uh, we've talked about very little. And as repetition is the mother of all learning, sometimes it may sound redundant, but it does help at least me. And I know a number of other people. I've actually um, talked to other preachers that preach right division. And uh, they, they said, you know, Brother Gregory, I've preached this for years. And then another pastor comes in or a preacher comes in that preaches right division. And he said the same exact thing that I've been saying for all of these years. But in that moment, someone in the church said, wow, it connected, you know. So, again, everyone's growing at their own level and their own time. And sometimes it's good to have a different voice to explain it in a different way. But when it does connect, it's it's powerful. So uh, just bear with it. There's a lot of things that we're going to go through, and we're just skimming uh, the surface here. But remember how that Paul, uh, Paul was unique in the gospel. He was unique to the gospel. Paul's gospel, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as he said, I preached this to you. You didn't preach it in vain. And the gospel was um, according to the scriptures that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again, and then he was seen. And so... This is the good news that he's living. Uh, again, uh, the gospel, it will establish you. Uh, it will uh, equip you as you understand the, the mystery. Uh, remember that Jesus is raised from the, the dead according to Paul's gospel. Very unique and distinctly different than the gospel of the kingdom. Let me remind you, go to 2 Timothy chapter uh, chapter 2. I've read this passage a number of times and... Uh, you know, you just kind of look at, oh, yeah, I know that. I know that. But when we're talking about giving this this distinction between the Gospels and seeing how this applied then and this applies now and the differences between the two, you begin to pick up on those things. Um, the Gospel 
that was, if you will, the Great Commission gospel, uh, they weren't preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were preaching the kingdom. And it was not until the Apostle Paul that we find that gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that his gospel, my gospel, uh, preaching that third part, and that's the solidification of what the gospel is. That's the good news in a nutshell. Yes, Jesus died. Yes, Jesus was buried. But without that resurrection. And uh, so here we are, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look down in verse number 8. It says, verse 7, Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus of the seed of David was raised from the dead. Here we go. Distinct words according to my gospel. Again, separating his gospel uh, that he preached that was given by revelation of Jesus Christ from the others. So just a few things. We talked about Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 and verse 9, how um, if any angel or any other person preach another gospel than the one that Paul had preached, and that is his gospel, that is the death, the burial, and the resurrection, let him be what? Accursed. And so when you put it in uh, the perspective of what we're talking about, just comparing this gospel with this gospel, you can almost imagine as Paul is bringing something new to the scene and he's going into the synagogues and he's arguing with Jewish leaders and, and Jew, Hebrews and uh, men of, Sanhed- of the Sanhedrin. And, and so he's, he's taking this revelation that Jesus Christ has given to him and uh, not only as he's going in the Jews periodically, but also with people like Peter. And uh, the other apostles, if you go to Galatians, he went up to them and and, uh, conveyed this revelation that was given to him by Jesus. And uh, uh, there are some things that Paul is now putting out there that people are arguing with. They're not seeing. They're struggling with. Um, Whether it be the Jews under the law trying to still live under the law or whether it be the 12 that were in the earthly ministry of Christ sent to go forth, heal diseases, have power over devils, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now this message is, here we have Jesus, and uh, and he's, he's, he's the way to heaven. He's the way to heaven through, uh, through, the, through the death and the burial and the resurrection. So preach no other gospel, let him be accursed. And so I think it's kind of unique that when you think about that and what we're talking about, uh, there's, there's major... Uh, things to uh, uh, contemplate, uh, to think and ponder on. I hope that when you come to the Bible, it's not just uh, passing. I hope that it's not just passing. I hope that we can, uh, even in your life, you have that development and that appetite to really think about, you know, as all scriptures give my inspiration to God, as uh, man shall not live by bread alone, but what? By every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So these words, even the word my, as Paul says, my gospel as, well, that's the gospel I'm preaching too. Amen. But it's there for, so sometimes it's good to look at these things, ponder, and uh, and to go forward. But um, again, we talked about a great commission that was Matthew chapter 10. Go to Matthew chapter 10. That's the, uh, the first commission that we find. The words great commission, the words commission to be sent out, the final uh, words of Christ, well, you'll never find these the words, the great commission, anywhere in the Bible. It's something that man's described, and I'm okay with that, but again, the doctrine's wrong. 
but we do find a great commission, meaning that here is the first commission that was given by Jesus to the disciples. Okay, it wasn't Matthew chapter 28, it wasn't Mark chapter 16. This is the very first one. And uh, we see, what I want to do tonight is just give you this unfolding uh, element of events, that this transpiring um, progress of events as you see a great commission, a greater commission, and the greatest commission adding more each time and then evolving and then totally the last one being different than the very first commission that was given to the disciples. Uh, you realize the disciples at this point here in the Gospels, even before Christ was before Christ was dead, they're not a part of the body of Christ. When did the body of Christ actually happen? With Paul. And so, uh, you know, here they are. Christ is still under the law. He came to fulfill the law. See, he's not even a part of the body of Christ at this point in that sense, theologically speaking. We know that he is the chief cornerstone. Uh, we know he is the head of the church. But those epistles weren't written until whom? Paul. Paul. So uh, he's the king. He's king of the Jews. Uh, here we are in Matthew chapter 10, again, verse 5. And these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not to the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of Samaritans enter you not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely give, receive, and free, freely give. So, under this commission, there's a few things to think about. The apostles were sent to the nation of Israel exclusively. Uh, you can find that also in Matthew chapter 15 if you want to turn over there. Verse number 24. And again, what I'm trying to do is you see how this has evolved. He is saying, go only to the lost house of the sheep of Israel. Then when you get to the so-called Great Commission, go into all the world. And then when you get to the Greatest Commission, which is the Commission of Reconciliation, we begin to see that the Gospel is not going to all the world. That's talking about Jews that have been dispersed. Now he's talking about Jews and Gentiles in Paul's ministry. So here, Matthew chapter 15 we find in verse 24, it says, But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Uh, so again, it was exclusive. Number two, under this commission, the kingdom was be, to be proclaimed at hand. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, other passages. Under this commission, the apostles were given miracles, miraculous powers. Uh, under this commission, they were not to lay up provision for the future. Matthew chapter 10, we don't do that today. Um, I'm trying to stock up as much retirement as I possibly can and put my nickels away. There's a buffalo coin. Uh, here's a silver dollar. You know, I'm trying to, right? Um, Luke chapter 12, verse 32 to verse 33 speaks of that as well. And then also under the commission, repentance and baptism were required for the remission of sins. And it's amazing to me uh, as you look at these thoughts, a lot of people, because they don't know right of vision, good people, um, they don't know how to explain it. So when it comes to these hard sayings in the Bible, turn over to Mark chapter 1 and verse 4. You know, you, you they, they, they pass over it or deny it or try to just let it be. Um, one thing about right division is allowing the Bible to speak for itself, not adding anything to it, not taking anything away uh, from it, just allowing the Bible to say what it says. Uh, so here we have, just an illustration, verse 3, in the voice of one, that's John the Baptist, in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached 
the baptism of what? Repentance. What's the next word? For. For in order to receive the remission of sins. We know what remission means. An exemption, a removal. Uh, and so that was connected there in their faith. Again, let me remind you, in every dispensation, there's three things required for salvation. Grace, faith, but obedience. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it for us today. Pastor, what's the obedience? Do we have to keep the sacraments? Do we have to be baptized? No, but you have to obey the Bible. And what does Paul tell us for salvation? That with the mouth, confession is made. With the heart, man believeth. Right? So there's that sense of obedience. Uh, you see it even as far back as Cain and Abel. One obeyed, one disobeyed. And one found faith and salvation and God's grace. Uh, so here is that truth. Again, you can look in John chapter 4 for another passage to talk about under this commission there was faith and uh, repentance and, and baptism required for the remission of sins. He says in John chapter 4, <clears throat> look down in verse 1 and verse 2. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. Just trying to connect these two verses with what we've already read about the baptism. The baptism. Why was it so important in that period of time? Why was John, you know, uh, there's something there to think about. Okay, second of all, we're going to a greater commission. A greater commission. And that's kind of what, the Great Commission is. It's it's not the greatest commission, but it's it's a, it's a greater than the one. Again, adding to the first command to go, uh, go to Matthew chapter uh, chapter eight, uh, twenty-eight. Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Let me remind you that there is no indication that the Lord meant a different gospel from the one that they had been preaching during his earthly ministry. You can't find any distinction. That's very important to think about. So let me ask you, um, in your own life, you know, if someone said, go clean your room at one portion of your life and you followed that command. But that commission was never... That message was never changed or altered or added to, or you can't go to the Gospels and see any difference between you. You have to just logically say the first one is the same as the second one, okay? Um, and I would I would encourage you to go through the Gospels, uh, look and see there is no difference between the first command versus the second in the sense of the gospel that they're preaching. Uh, look in Matthew chapter 28. He says in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee and into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations. There is some... Um, Adding to a great commission, it's evolving. Only go to the Israel, but now he says, "Go to all nations." Um, and again, the Baptist uh, just 
connect it with Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. What does Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 say? Let's go over there. Let's just read it. Keep your hand here. Um, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, if you think about that in the context of the Holy Ghost, when did they have the Holy Ghost come upon them? And what happened when they had the Holy Ghost come upon them? They began to speak in tongues, uh, languages. They were all in one accord. They were uh, in this room, the upper room, if you will. Um, He says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. What are they talking about witnesses? You know, Jehovah Witnesses, you and I, we go on witnesses, visitation. The witness that he's speaking there about directly is different than the witness that we have. The witness that they are he's referring to is that they actually saw Jesus die. I was there, I was a witness, right? When you stand in a court of law. Again, just a principle that we use. We weren't there. We witnessed what Jesus has done to us through the power of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. But again, ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. Uh, Look over in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Go down to verse number 15. Now think, connect Scripture with Scripture. We're talking about and ye shall be witnesses. He says in Acts chapter 3 and verse 15. Look back in verse uh, verse 13. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and, of, and the God of our fathers who glorified His Son Jesus, whom He delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when He was determined to be let go. Is He talking to the body of Christ? Is He talking to you and I? We weren't there, right? No, so it's not. This, he's not talking about us. Verse 14. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life whom God hath raised from the dead. Whereof? Say it with me. We are what? We're witnesses. Big difference. We're witnessing of the gospel. We're, we're witnessing of Jesus Christ. But in the context, he's talking about those people that were there. Um. Just a good point to bring across. Look back in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. That ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea. Or as Tyler says, uh, Judea, Judea. I said, who says Judea and who says Judea? He says it and I think, oh, that's a cool way of saying it. But every time I try to say it, it comes out good. Uh, it says... And unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken those things, while they beheld that he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. What, what is all of this in connection to? Look back in verse uh, seven. So it's the verse right before verse eight, right? Ver- verse six. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, "Lord, will at this time?" Restore again the kingdom to Israel. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. So again, go in all the world and preach the kingdom, Matthew chapter 28, the gospel of the kingdom, because they're still filling that same command. That gospel hasn't changed. There's been a few things added 
first it was only going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, specifically here, this location. Now uh, it's a broader scope to allow all of uh, the nation of Israel to, to repent of what they've done. And as they're going, they're witnesses. And they're, witnesses were, they're witnessing the king was, he was murdered. The king was rejected. The king was brutally uh, beat. And he's the one that has the keys to the kingdom. He's the one that's the ruler. So um, back in Matthew, back in Mark chapter, look over to Mark chapter 16. It's always been funny to me how, uh, you know, I grew up in the South and the South one church might be different than the next. There's always this running joke, I guess, up in the hills of certain areas down in the South of Snake Hamlin churches. I've never come across them, but uh, I'd run if I did, you know. But you see that uh, sense of truth here. And I, I would say, okay, in the spirit of consistency, those people, if they're going to believe and this is picking and choosing with Baptists. And this is wrong. If we're going to be consistent with going all the world and preach the gospel, then we should hold knowledge to the gospel as it being the kingdom in that period. And I can see the confusion of mixing the two up just because we take the word gospel and we don't always study the Bible in detail. But if we're going to be consistent, how can we deny what the rest of the passage says in the sense of, oh, that doesn't apply to us. I'm an independent fundamental Baptist. We don't handle snakes. But if you're going to be a Bible believer, right? You're going to have a spirit of consistency. Look in verse uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He said, Unto them, go ye in all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. And he that believeth and is what? Baptized. Okay. And he that believeth not shall be damned, and these signs shall follow them. That believe in my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up, serp up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, uh, he was received up into heaven and set on the right hand of God. Notice that. That's a key verse to go along with what we're talking about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and verse 9. What happened in verse 9 of Acts chapter 1? He left. He ascended. So here you have, you know, Acts is volume two to the treaties that Luke wrote in the gospel according to Luke. It, it goes hand in hand. So here's the earthly ministry of Christ. It, ended, it ends, but Acts picks up. And it picks up in that same time frame and that same program, dispensational program. And so this thought of preaching the kingdom goes along with the signs and the witnesses of me and all of these apostolic things that they had during that period of time that we don't have today. Um, so let me just give you a few things to think about under a greater commission. The grace of the gospel of the grace of God is not preached nor even mentioned until Paul is raised up and sent to declare it. Now we're talking about the grace of God in association to this dispensation that we're, we're living in. Look over in Acts chapter 20, okay? Acts chapter 20 is the very first time you hear the word grace throughout the Bible. But as Paul says 
in Ephesians chapter 3 that God gave him uh, to be the minister of the dispensation of the grace of God. And in that period, he was to uh, teach this revelation that had been hidden. So here we have Acts chapter 20. Look down at verse 24. But none of these things moved me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I, that's important, I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel. He, he describes it. The gospel of the what? The grace of God. So again, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the grace of God, two different programs. It wasn't until the Apostle Paul. So even when you think about the church program, why is Paul so important? Consider what I say in the Lord, give the understanding of all things. Because he's writing to whom? The church. The church, the body of Christ. Um, you could look over in... in uh, uh, well, we could go to a couple of other places. Romans chapter 3, 21 through 28. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. But let me give you a few other things. The apostles had not been sent to one nation alone. Now they were sent to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Again, Luke chapter 24, uh, Acts chapter 1. Uh, so you begin to see some of these things growing. Second of all, under this commission, the kingdom formally proclaimed at hand was actually offered for Israel's acceptance. Uh, look at Acts chapter 2. Look over in Acts chapter 2. So, again, as these commissions are evolving, a great commission, a greater commission, the greatest commission, they're going forth in the first commandment, go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And there's, they're preaching the gospel of the kingdom, repent you for the kingdom of heaven is what? Hand. The second commission is not just that it was at hand. Now it's a step further. So this is really important. It's, again, it's formally proclaimed at hand, but now it's offered for Israel's acceptance. To accept it, to accept it, to accept it. Have you ever wondered what the day of Pentecost really was about? Uh, and people talk about it in Baptist circles. That was a great day of revival. It wasn't. Over 3,000 people saved. That's a large number in the sense of believing. But when you look at the size of a nation, you know, we, we're, we're, we're talking about statistics. We're talking about numbers now with coronavirus, okay? And so when you look at just in Michigan, how many people live here in this state alone? Thousands, right? Thousands. What is it, uh, is it six, six point, six point five, something like that? So you can imagine a nation on the day of Pentecost, and that was when the Jews were there gathered, right? And yet, as Peter preached the gospel of the kingdom, no longer is at hand, but in that message, this is the one that you killed. And we're going to go through the book of Acts. Uh, it was an opportunity once again in God's grace for the nation of Israel after his death, burial, and resurrection and his ascension to accept that kingdom program. Uh, look in Acts chapter 32. Excuse me, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. He says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both the Lord and Christ. 
Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you. What is that promise? Has the whole program of the Old Testament not been about a king and a kingdom and, 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 and a Messiah? And uh, he says, for the promise is unto you. Those present, um, what did they do in Matthew chapter 27 that were present at his crucifixion? They said, crucify, crucify. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this, what? Untoward generation. Then that they then they that gladly received the word were baptized, and the same day were added about uh, unto them about three thousand souls. So here you have a message of consistency with what has been evolving of the gospel of the, the kingdom and only 3,000. 3,000. If you read um, man, look, read chapter 2. This is crazy. I mean, here he is in verse 15. For these are not drunken. What's he talking about? Peter stands up. Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the 11. Peter's the spokesman. That's a key thing to think about. Peter's the spokesman for that dispensation. No longer Paul is. Peter standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken unto my words. What's he talking about? Well, chapter 1 and verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses. Was Peter not there? What did he do three times? And then the rooster. Right? And he took tail and hid. Here he is. By the Holy Ghost, he stands up and he lifts his voice and he says, hearken unto my words, listen to me. You know, that's one good thing about preaching. You need to think about that and that point of reference here in this verse. He lifted up his voice. These men that want to stand and they want to just, uh, you know, there's a time for teaching, absolutely, and that's what we're doing here. But we also know the Bible says through the foolishness of preaching. He lifted, he elevated his voice. Well, I just don't like a preacher that lifts his voice. What's wrong with you? You never met someone that's passionate about something? They get excited. You know, um, there's a saying for it in the South. He's, he's dry as cracker juice. Verse 15. For these are not drunken. What are they doing? They're all speaking in different known tongues. And, and it's on the day of Pentecost. There's, look back in chapter 2 and verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. And the Spirit gave them utterance. And so here... Everyone watching this thinks they're crazy. They're not. And Peter says, wait a minute. Seeing it is but the third hour of the day. I mean, he uses a worldly terminology. It's five o'clock somewhere. Peter, come on. You know? He gives that illustration, does he not? It's the third hour of the day. They're not drunk. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. 
And it shall come to pass in the last days that God say, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall see dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapors of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood. Before the great noble day of the Lord come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the sight of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by determinate, determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This was God's doing. The devil, it was hid, right? You know, it was hid. It was even hid from the devil. Ye have taken, and by wicked hands crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David spake concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to seek right. He's talking about Christ, right? The whole thing's about Christ. You killed him. He went to hell, and he, 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 he's the holy one. He's not going to see corruption. You know, what is Paul called? That resurrection, right? He says, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, right? There's that Davidical promise, that covenant that God made with David, that through his Seed would be what? A king. He's still presenting that kingdom. That king. It says according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his what? Throne. Again, a king, a kingdom. Seeing this therefore spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up. Can you imagine? The goose bumples, the God bumples getting all over your body and scared. What would you do? I'd do what they did, right? Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my, uh, my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstools, footstools. Therefore let all the house of Israel know surely that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 7 is key. Now when they heard this, bang, they were what? Prick. You know that word prick? It means convicted. It's good to have that prick. What does that indicate about conviction? hurts you know it's not natural it's it, it's kind of an outward intrusion to our flesh 
That's what preaching does at the beginning of this. Peter standing up and lifting his voice and preaching Old Testament truth connected with what they are witnesses of. This same Jesus whom you crucified that Joel spake about, that David was promised through his seed would come forth. The king is set upon his throne. You killed him. And then they were pricked in their hearts. And then they said the question, what do we, what do we need to do? That's salvation in a nutshell. Same way it is today. The word, faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. Peter's preaching the word. And men are convicted. And men make a choice. You know, I was white-knuckled and squeezing that pew in front of me. Finally, I swallowed that big old Adam's apple that oh, I couldn't get down. And I walked forward. It was the best day of my life, right? That's what's happened. And, and again, he's offering to them this acceptance of, uh, of the kingdom. Uh, you know, there's much more here, but we just don't have time. I've got four or five, well, four or five other things under this commission and then going to the greatest commission. And that's the ministry of reconciliation. That's where we understand Paul talking about the death, burial, and the resurrection and how we are to go into all the world. You know, last Wednesday I made a statement of, uh, of you know, missionaries. Most, most missionaries, a lot of missionaries. I shouldn't say most. There's a lot of missionaries. Do you know Jim Phillips? He preaches right of this. Amen. Um, there's a lot of mission. Brian Baggett came in here. He's a missionary that preaches right to vision. Uh, Adam Branscombe, missionary to, to, to China, who are now back in the States. They preach right to vision. And yet, there's a lot of other missionaries that don't know right to vision. They're preaching the same gospel. So the question that I kind of answered for my own question was, why do we support missionaries that don't know right to vision? You know, we're trying in grace and faith to help teach our church and as God evolves this thing um, see his work but also the big point is that it's still the same gospel and 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 we have that connection there and that liberty there and yet at the same time as Bible believers we want to be accurate so uh, I hope this is clear when you begin to see these things coming out this is totally different this is evolving and then what we're going to look at next week is even more, and it's for us. Same principles. Right division doesn't take away principles of the Bible. For example, for all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? It's profitable. Absolutely. And I've shared this a number of times, whether it be Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, or other passages in the Old Testament that are not written to the body of Christ, but there's principles. You know, there's principles there, but again, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for what? Doctrine. Here's the key about right division. If you look in the Old Testament, like in Daniel's prayer life, and part of his prayer life fits what Paul says about our prayer life, then that's the doctrine that we hold to with Daniel's prayer life. But some of Daniel's prayer life doesn't match up with Paul's prayer life in the body of Christ and the church concerning prayer. So what do we go? Where do we go? What do we hold to? We hold to Paul because Paul is our spokesman. Paul is writing specifically and things have changed. I hope that helps. Um,